This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Howie Donahoe as he preaches on heaven from the Gospel of Luke. Mr. Donahoe serves as a ruling elder in the Pacific Northwest Presbytery and also as moderator of the 47th General Assembly. This sermon was originally preached at the 2021 General Assembly in St. Louis. Let's listen to Ruling Elder Donahoe as he preaches on heaven. Listen with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, There they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Glory to you, O Lord. Imagine with me for a moment. Next week you get home, the phone rings, and it's the Amazon Vice President of Public Relations. She says, you've won something very special. Turns out that your last order was the 25 millionth order that they've had since they started, and they have a very special prize for you. An all-expense-paid, year-long trip around the world for you, your family, and your guests. She says Amazon is the third wealthiest company in the world with a market cap of about a trillion dollars. They can afford it. 
and they want to do this. Your trip starts in June. You'll have two Airbus 330-900 long-range wide-body aircraft. One will be fitted for your family, 2,000 square feet. The other will carry the staff that will assist you, medical personnel, drivers, cooks, concierge, directors. You can go anywhere you want, anytime you want, eat in any restaurant with any guest. You have a one-of-a-kind Amazon credit card, no limit, accepted everywhere in the world. Each Sunday you can worship with different congregations around the world. You can spend a few weeks in a villa on the hillside in Santorini, Greece, or on an 85-foot yacht in the Med with a helicopter and jet skis. You can visit any museum, restaurant, symphony, sporting event, golf course, ski slope, fishing stream. You can hot air balloon up the Great Wall of China, drive a Bentley Continental GT on the Autobahn. Your sons and grandsons can learn soccer from Leo Messi in Barcelona or curveball from Clayton Kershaw. Your daughters can learn piano from Yuja Wang or cooking from Heinz Beck in Rome. I expect such a trip would be on our front burners. The mere anticipation of it would brighten every day. So why isn't heaven on our front burners? Some of us rarely think about it or speak about it or preach about it. How can this be? I think Christ's eight words may provide a clue. Today you'll be with me in paradise. But before we look at that briefly, who was this criminal? In the ESV, he's called a robber. In Matthew and Mark, and in Luke, he's called simply a criminal. Importantly, Matthew and Mark say that both these thieves were reviling Christ earlier. But something happened to the, that thief in those few hours between his early morning mocking and his later morning confession. Luke doesn't tell us what, but we know ultimately it was God's grace, his effectual calling. In the wonderful words of Westminster Confession 10, God had predestined him for life and was pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call him, taking away his heart of stone giving him a heart of flesh, renewing his will, and by his almighty power, effectually drawing him to Jesus Christ. The thief utters his brief and simple request, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Christ answers with eight words packed with power and hope and promise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. What do we know and what do we feel about that preposition, with Christ? Paul told the Corinthian church, we know that while we're home in the body or away from the Lord, and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. About a year later, he told the Philippian church, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paradise is paradise because it is fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. For many of us, the preposition is weak because our longing to be with Christ is too weak. Sometimes I'll read Samuel Rutherford and feel puny as a Christian. His love for Christ seems to soar. I felt something similar years ago in a five-day seminary class listening to Sinclair Ferguson pray each morning before class. We need to cultivate and percolate that preposition with Christ. The normal means of grace 
or an aid to help this. Worship, preaching, scripture reading, prayer, silent spoken, sung, solo, communal, and the sacraments. The promise that he loves my children and my children's children makes me long to be with him. The promise that I have a welcome place at his table as a lame Mephibosheth makes me long to be with him. A week ago, it dawned on me, Jesus didn't need to say anything to this thief. He didn't need to utter a word. Jesus was undoubtedly in horrible pain. Undoubtedly, it was difficult to breathe. Yet he loved this dying thief so much that he spoke immeasurable comfort to him. Who wouldn't long to be with a savior like that? took a retreat in the central Idaho mountains a couple weeks ago and started reading a book called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland, a PCA minister in the Chicago area. Reading it, reading it has increased my love for Christ and my desire to be with him. The book kind of reoxygenated my blood. I also listened to songs that wanted, made me want to be with Christ. There's a group called Future of Forestry has a song called What Beauty. Brooke Ligert Woods, What a Beautiful Name. The Awake album from Hillsong Worship closes with a song called He Shall Reign. I can't listen to that song without crying. What about the noun? What do we know and how do we feel about paradise? What will it be like in heaven? Be careful here, preacher. The New Testament uses the Greek paradisos three times in Luke, 2 Corinthians 12, and Revelation 1. Paul wrote, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, and I know that this man was caught up into paradise. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. In Revelation 1, to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Scripture talks about heaven in lots of images. Some are strange. Ezekiel talks about wheels within wheels and eyes on the wheels. Elsewhere, Scripture talks about a city and mansions and rest and reunion and feast and wedding. Throughout history, even the finest art and literature has strained to present an image. Dante, after his Divine Comedy, wrote that a divine... Um, comedy wrote that it was much easier to write about hell than about heaven. Nonetheless, we need to try to cultivate this noun. We should follow the advice of 17th century Puritan uh, Richard Baxter and practice what he called the soul-ravishing exercise of a heavenly contemplation. So when you see, hear, smell, taste, feel something on this planet, and say, ah, this is wonderful. But imagine what it'll be like there. This sunrise in the Grand Canyon, laughter of a toddler, performance of Handel's Messiah or Alleluia, smell of a lilac, taste of a Krispy Kreme donut, or a Copper River salmon, or the embrace of a child. Likewise, when the opposite happens, say, ah, this is miserable, but it won't be so there. This inconvenience, disappointment, mortgage, loneliness, back pain, conflict, 
I have a prediction for you, if you are in Christ, the moment of your death will be the happiest moment of your existence so far. How, how could it not be? As we heard earlier, Paul told the Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I often tell my wife and kids I'm considering tattooing DNR on my chest so the doctors don't mistakenly think I prefer this world to the next. Winston Churchill gave instructions that at his funeral, the military band was to play Reveille instead of Taps, signaling the beginning and not the end. Just imagine what the Creator has in store for us in the new earth. The Creator who populated the depths of the oceans with such marvelously strange creatures. Imagine what he has in store for eternity. Scientists recently found a snailfish at 26,000 feet deep in the Mariana Trench in the South Pacific, unseen by anybody but the Creator for thousands of years. Aquinas thought we'd all be 33 years old in heaven. Lewis imagines we'll be ageless, whatever that means. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each report that Christ told the Sadducees, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. To be honest, I'm not very thrilled with that idea, but I'm not entirely sure what to make of it either. I think British Olympian Eric Little might still feel God's pleasure by running. At the conclusion of the final book in the Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis wrote something that many of you have read. The school year is over. The holidays are here. The dream is ended. This is the morning. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. We can use the Lord's Day as a reminder of heaven that is soon to come. We need to become experts at doing that and helping others to do it. When our five kids were little, we tried to save the best desserts for Sunday. I think we had a box of Sunday-only toys. Save your best meals for Sunday, your favorite books, your finest wine, fellowship with your brothers and sisters from church. Maybe even consider putting this thing on the shelf. I'm reasonably sure that Paul, even in his wildest dreams, could not have imagined the 21st century so I'm reasonably sure we can't really imagine the things the new earth will have. But it's easy to imagine what will not be there. No wars, no pandemics, no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no hunger, no injustice, no racial strife, no disputing, no misunderstanding, no conflict, no temptation, no sin, no confession. Heavenly worship without a confession in your liturgy. Whatever it's like to be a redeemed soul in heaven and whatever it's like to be a redeemed soul reunited with an immortal body, it's infinitely better and eternally better than any Amazon trip you could think of. I realize many of you here don't need encouragement to think about 
and long for heaven. Some are in almost constant pain, physical, emotional, parental, financial, relational. Some of you are exhausted. And this life or your work in the church hasn't turned out how you had hoped. You've been yearning for the next life for many years and yearning deeply, but most of us in this room tonight have far more comforts than any of our Christian brothers and sisters throughout history and probably even throughout the world today. So for those of us relatively comfortable and content, we need to increase our longing for something much better. As Lewis advised, don't make the mistake of thinking that a pleasant inn along the journey is your real home. A sanctified discontent with this life and even with its blessings is not dishonoring to God. And regardless how we exegete and understand the wretched man of Romans 7, we can all admit a great longing to be rid of that old man and our temptations. But even if we do all this well and cultivate that preposition and cultivate that noun, we may still have a problem. One night I was flying my regular route from Tel Aviv to Philadelphia. We were over Greenland. I was looking at the northern lights, thinking about these words from Jesus to the thief and how infrequently and inadequately I thought about heaven. I was perplexed. I imagined paradise to be a wonderful and marvelous place. And as weak as my love for Christ is, I do long for the day that I will be with him when my love for him might be as his love is for me now. So why didn't I think about it more? Why wasn't I affected more? And it dawned on me. It's the adverb. I didn't really believe I could be in heaven today or even soon. We imagine that date is far off over the horizon, but it's just around the corner. In Psalm 90, Moses prays, the years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. James asks, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's a year anyway or 40 years in light of eternity? It's nothing really, not even a drop of water in the Atlantic Ocean of eternity. If you can persuade yourself that you could be in heaven soon, I think it should have an effect. Think of a soldier coming home from Afghanistan tomorrow, hasn't seen or held his wife or kids in a year. Nothing could bother him today. Try to remember what it was like as a child on Christmas Eve, greatest night of the year. Nothing could bother you. Everything paled in comparison to what was coming. We're living on the Christmas Eve of eternal bliss and acting like it's March 1st sometimes. Heaven and our soon residence there is simply not on our radar very often. So we need to calibrate, we need to recalibrate the radar. There's many ways to do that, but one important way is to simply recognize your mortality, not just theoretically, but practically and even mathematically. I'm 66. Social security tables say I'll live another 18 years. 
to age 84. So based on that, I'll probably leave this earth when my oldest grandchild turns 21. But I also know that statistically in the United States, 420 men my age will die in the next seven days. And it's not just older folks. U.S. statistics say 30 children under age 14 will die in the next seven days in a car accident alone. 100 teenagers between 16 to 19 next week will die in car accidents alone. In your stated clerk's report in your commissioner's handbook, there's a list of 45 ministers that died in the last two years. These are just the deaths reported to the clerk's office. You'll recognize some of the names. Jim Baird, Howard Griffith, Archie Parrish. From what I can tell, at least a quarter of that list, at least 10 of those ministers died younger than I am today. John Brown, Mike Hollenbach, Myron Ivey, DeCelio Leal, Kurt Lutchens, Philip Seeley, Ted Strawbridge. Andrew Allen was 48. Shane Martin was 47. Jameson Stockhouse was 46. We need to cultivate that adverb. What can we do to simply remind ourselves and others that we're going to heaven and that we're going there soon? Anything and everything, design a screensaver, the ringtone on your phone, every time your Apple Watch says breathe, breathe in the heavenly air. Write your funeral service, buy your casket, your cemetery plot. Trappist monks always keep a grave open in the cemetery to bury the next brother who dies. Then they dig a new one and keep it open for the next one. In his book, Setting Our Sights on Heaven, PCA Minister Paul Wolf of Northern Virginia suggests that occasionally when you get into your car, remind yourself how dangerous driving is and therefore how there's a possibility that you could go to heaven sometime during that drive. Perhaps we need to signal each other. My wife let me buy a motorcycle a couple months ago, and when bikers pass each other on the highway, they usually lower their left hand palm forward as kind of a brotherhood of the bikers. I don't know what it is, but perhaps we should have a signal to each other like a third base coach to remind each other that we're going to be in heaven soon. When pondering this passage from, from Luke, we'd be remiss to ignore the other thief. He probably heard the exchange between his fellow thief and Jesus. What did he make of it? Why didn't he also ask to be remembered in the kingdom? While Jesus' promise of paradise for the repentant is magnificent news, it's hellish news for those who reject Christ, and it is so for eternity. But here, Luke provides great hope. I wonder if any of Luke's friends suggested he not report this exchange between the thief and Christ. Luke, if you report it in this way, it could make redemption look too easy. People might twist it to make salvation look simple and obedience look unnecessary. Fortunately, Luke tells us that in at least this one instance, a profoundly simple confession and very simple faith 
from a profoundly guilty person who had mocked Christ just hours earlier, elicited Christ's promise of immediate eternal paradise. In John 6, Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The Greek in that sentence is apparently a kind of extra negative, something like, I will most certainly never, ever cast out. Let me close with an observation and a story. Despite all I've said so far, your time being short on this planet is not entirely good news. There are many very important things you will never again, never again be able to do. Resist temptation, help the poor, tell people about Christ, fight injustice, comfort the weary, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, visit the prisoner, visit the sick, guard your tongue, love your enemies, give away your money. After you die, you will never again have the opportunity to honor and glorify the Lord as a fallen creature. No more opportunity to wrestle with your humanness, to mortify your sin, to say with Job and to say to Satan, even though he slay me, I will hope in him. Never again. In 1973, before our final Pennsylvania high school wrestling match, our coach George Lampernakis asked how we wanted to finish. Did we want to merely win or did we want to give it everything we had? We knew we could probably win with 80% effort. But he knew most of our team wasn't going on to wrestle collegiate. So Coach Lamp said, this is the last time you'll ever wrestle. Six minutes more, that's it. How do you want to finish? You don't ever want to look back and think you could have tried harder, that you could have given more, so leave it all on the mat tonight, everything you've got. And I think we did, each wrestler. But why? Because of pride? Because we didn't want to have regrets like Coach warned about in the future, looking back? No. It was simply because we loved that man and we wanted to offer it to him. That was the last chance we'd ever have to present him an offering from the mat. Well, this is your last match. The time you have left on this earth, whether it's one year or 18 years or 40 years, is your last six minutes. You'll never wrestle again. How do you want to finish? Leave it all on the mat. Everything you got as an offering to him. Because soon, very soon, you will be with him in paradise. Let's pray. Father, give us a renewed and an expanded vision of paradise and an increased yearning to be there with Christ and a palpable sense of its nearness that we might even be there today. Cultivate this plant in our hearts, make it affect our lives in ways that are noticeable, and may we share it with others. We ask this in the name of the one who proclaimed those eight breathtakingly hopeful words. Amen.
You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.